This is the Ruminant Podcast. I'm Jordan Marr. The Ruminant Podcast and blog wonders what good farming looks like and aims to help farmers and gardeners share insights with each other. At theruminant.ca, you'll find show notes for each episode of the podcast, as well as the odd essay, book review, and photo-based blog post. You can email me, editor at theruminant.ca. I'm at ruminantblog on Twitter, or search The Ruminant on Facebook. Okay, on with the show. This is The Ruminant Podcast. I'm Jordan Marr. Jay McCammon has spent many years observing and cataloging the weeds on his and his clients' farms, and over this time, by also observing the soil types, conditions, and nutrient levels of the countless fields he's worked with, Jay has come up with, well, sort of a grand unifying theory of weeds and what they're telling us about our soil. Jay has written a few versions of his book on the topic, but the only one currently available for sale is called, simply, When Weeds Talk. You'll find it on the Acres USA website. I spoke with Jay in November of 2015. This is our conversation. Jay McCammon, thanks a lot for joining me on the Ruminant Podcast. So, Jay, I was at the Moses Conference when you gave a talk on your book, When Weeds Talk, and I, I wasn't able to catch it, and I was really disappointed because it, it, it seems like a really interesting topic. And before we get into the meat of the book, I'm just wondering when when you first started to appreciate that, that weeds might be playing a more valuable role in terms of what they're telling us uh, than, than many of us give them credit for? Well, I had started writing things down on three by five cards in the late 70s because I wanted to be able to quote someone else. I knew that would carry more impact than if I just said it myself. And over the years, I've built that card pile up to over 17,000 cards. And when I was in the uh, basic Reams soil class, they were showing us some information on radionics and how certain fertilizers enhance weeds and suppress actually suppress crops, even though they'll grow a green crop. They actually suppress the, the, the total value of the crop. But other fertilizers build the crop and suppress the weeds. And that got me thinking. I, I put the first book together in 1985, and just the title was Weeds, uh, exclamation point, why, question mark. And then uh, I knew what the information I had at that point was very short of what I needed, but for about uh, nine years, that was what I had available. I was able to put the book, When Weeds, uh, Weeds and Why They Grow, was the second book. I put that together in 94. Uh, and then uh, that was the one available up until two years ago, this last March, when I finished up When Weeds Talk. But it's the, the farmers who have told me things, like uh, a woman who was organic organic farmer on muck, told us that uh, she got rid of her Canada thistle when she put manganese on the soil. And, of course, a lot of muck soils are short on manganese. And uh, so I've taken that to mean that any weed that uh, spreads by rhizomes, you probably should be looking at your, at your manganese, especially when you want to 
control the weeds. Your your knowledge was built up, it sounds like, over years of, is it fair to say, just observation and talking to many, many farmers? Is that how you kind of built this I've, I've database? I've talked to farmers. I've, I've gotten soil test data. I have soil test labs that support my work. I have six PhDs that will will support my work. Unfortunately, three of those have passed out, but they were <laughs> teaching the same principles. <laughs> Right. Okay. So, so then, it, it from what from what I understand, the central premise of your book is that if if one takes the time uh, to put resources into balancing one's soil properly, then then one should experience a lot less weed pressure. Do I do I have that right? Yes. Yes. I just finished uh, reading Gary Zimmer's book book Advancing Biological Agriculture. I think that was the accurate name. And he told about, uh, uh, I think it was a convent or uh, a church group that that ran a farm. And uh, they took uh, took land out of agriculture, out of production, and just grew cover crops for one year. And uh, when... They went back to row crops. They had very little weed pressure for three years. And that ties, I think that ties in with what the Bible talks about when God told the Israelites to let your land lay idle every seventh year. Now, I know we've got to figure cash flow and all these things for payments but and, and to satisfy the banks. But I think that's a concept that we need to to follow. I heard Dr. Richard Harwood speak at Michigan State University. He'd been with Rodale Institute for several years. And he made the statement that we, if you want to build organic matter in your soil, you need live roots in that soil 10 to 11 months a year. Now that's going to vary over the course of your rotation. But there's a lot being done on cover crops. I'm especially happy to see the last few years here in Michigan, there are a lot more cover crops being planted. I'm, not, I'm seeing less soil laying open over the winter, and that's a good sign. Nutrients come available in the fall anytime the soil temperature is above 50 degrees, particularly nitrogen. If that nitrogen is not taken up, by a plant, there's a good possibility it'll either be held by microbes or it will leach. So the best thing to do is have a plant growing there that can take that out, mm-hmm. take that up, and it will have the nutrients available for your following crop. Right. So with regards to to weeds then, I mean, is it the case that that most weeds that that I could name are telling are telling me something or you something about about what's happening in my soil, or are there just some like really kind of uh, primary ones that 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 play that role? Oh yeah, there are two things that are very common. The book has a list of over eight hundred weeds. It's in a chart form, so you can read, you can get your basic data quickly. And the two most common problems are low calcium 
and low organic matter or low humans. Now you got to look. You got to be looking at your calcium magnesium balance, not your soil pH, because they told me at Michigan State University that magnesium will raise your your soil pH 40% faster than calcium. But if you don't have the right ratio in your soil, your your high mag high magnesium soils are going to promote a lot of grass weeds. Right. So, so can we talk then in, in broader strokes then? Like, can, are there, are there other kind of, um, broad categories of weed problems that you could, you could take me through that, that, that tend to be a problem based on issues in the soil? Your calcium magnesium ratio has a lot to do with grass weeds. And this, when the soil is higher in magnesium, the it will be sticky and tight, and those weeds are there to loosen that soil structure. Foxtail has been a problem in row crops. Of course, they always want to control it with uh, herbicides. But the problem is the soil is tight. Tillage may help, but it really doesn't solve the problem of the energy patterns that are in, the, in those soil particles that make them stick together. Magnesium makes particles stick together. Calcium makes them move apart. So you want a ratio of those to get the get get the proper energy balance. Usually, a calcium and a magnesium ratio of five to one, up to seven to one. When you get down to about a three per three to one, you're going to have a, a very tight soil. And there's actually a, a, a I call it. A, you could call it progression, but I, I call it a regression because once that soil degenerates from what supports foxtail, the next step is fall panicum. Hmm. And then when you get to the decay situation, your uh, your velvet leaf and jimson weed are in very anaerobic soils. That means lacking in oxygen. So the... the uh, the velvet leaf requires methane gas to germinate that seed. Uh, jimson weed requires ethane gas, which is a slightly more comp- comp- complex model, a molecule. And I've been I've driven by some farms that had uh, a lot of velvet leaf in their soybeans, and I could smell the velvet leaf from the road. It was that bad, just driving by. In my opinion, a soil that is that bad with that kind of velvet leaf is not going to qualify for organic. There needs to be a change to where that velvet leaf does not want to grow before you can get much of a soil that will that will produce a quality crop instead of the velvet leaf. Right. Well, that's 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 really interesting. In in the case of um, like it's so interesting to think, I mean, I started out assuming this was mainly about soil nutrients, but as you're pointing out, it, it does, there's many other soil conditions that, that, um, uh, can, can contribute to the balance of, of, of weeds growing in the garden. Um, and then, or if you take like, uh, or it's, you know, what I'm wondering earlier, you mentioned, um, the relationship potentially between nightshade and, and potash. 
Um, mm-hmm. And when when potash was is really high, you're you're more likely to see it growing. Um, mm-hmm. in, in in a lot of cases, like I just think about about that about the amount of seeds that a that a that a nightshade plant will put out and that they're they're repeatedly can can stay in the soil for uh, viable for t- 20 years or more um so i guess is that a major factor here is that that you know weeds are putting out massive amount of seeds so it's not like you're going to ever clear it all out of the soil and so certain conditions as you say just just make it right for for germination like would that be what's happening with the farmer's brother who ended up putting more potash on his field and seeing the nightshade bloom again? The, the weeds are there. I have an uncle who claims for 30 years he did not let a weed go to seed in his garden, and he still had weeds. Dr. Albrecht from the University of Missouri talked about a trial that was done with Timothy grass harvested for hay. Certain plots got six tons of manure every year. The other plots got no manure, no fertility. When the timothy in the unfertilized plots started to die out, they would plow both both sets of plots up and reseed. Broom sedge, I think I was thinking of broom sedge, was uh, was growing in those uh, plots that did not get the manure. This, th- he knew the seeds blew into the plots that received manure. But the broom says never took hold. So this uh, idea of working the ground for uh, uh, weed control weed germination can be counterproductive because every time we, we till that ground, we're destroying organic matter. Mm-hmm. And you've noticed how much emphasis I put on the organic matter at suppressing weed growth. It, it's like Gary Zimmer, Gary Zimmer says, know what you're trying to accomplish if you're doing any tillage and do just what you need to, no more. Right. Well, I guess I guess a major lesson of your work is just that there are many unintended consequences to to some of the the practices we engage in in our in our soil. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I just have a, a couple more questions, then, Jay. Um, one would be in very general terms. Like, does your does your definition of what constitutes a well balanced soil or or a really healthy soil that's going to um, significantly reduce weed pressure does it differ much than the standard like is it worth asking you to just again in general terms summarize um what a well-balanced soil looks like in terms of uh nutrient balance ph organic matter could i ask you to do that or 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 would it be the same that you'd read in any textbook uh dr kerry reams put a lot of emphasis on growing from calcium and phosphorus most of the universities and chemical companies push nitrogen and potash. They know they can make things look good. But looking good and preventing weeds, diseases, and insects can be totally opposite. <clears throat> Dr. Reams used the standard CEC test, soil test for, for a while, 
but he found that it was not telling him the whole story. So he found the what we call the Lamont test, or sometimes called the Morgan test. I think he had that test modified. Pike Lab Supply in Maine is familiar with that, and they, of course, they can set set you up for for the proper test. Dr. Reams wanted, uh, in most soils, he wanted a two-to-one phosphate-to-potash ratio on Lamont test. Conventional agriculture talks about a, a one-to-two phosphate-to-potash ratio on a CEC test. Your calcium and magnesium, I've already talked a little bit about that. Dr. Reams was wanting 2,000 pounds of calcium on the Lamont test. Now that's a challenge in sandy soils. You've got to do something to improve what that soil can hold. Otherwise your calcium and other nutrients are going to leach out of sandy soils. I've studied a lot of Dr. Reams. I have I've grown alfalfa and we have worked with the refractometer. I use the refractometer and the sap pH meter in uh, monitoring growing crops during the season. If you can get alfalfa up to what we call 12 bricks, it's B-R-I-X. That's the level that registers on the refractometer. It's what we, it's been called sh- sugars. It's actually totally, total dissolved solids. It's in the sap of that plant. When you get up to 12, you, you pretty much forget about insects. And a lot of diseases will not be a problem. Now, one thing that can happen when storm systems come in, the barometer goes down, the plant pulls the energy back to the roots for survival. If it's just down for a few hours, you're all right. If it's down for a few days, you may get some insect pressure in there that you would not normally have had if the barometer had stayed up and your your nutrients were well available. Right. I have... I have grown potatoes in my garden for over 30 years. In the last several years, I've not seen, I think I've seen one potato beetle total. And a mile west of town, about every third year, there's 100 acres of potatoes or more. And so what, and, and, and with, in that case, what do you attribute to, to the, the low pressure from, from a potato beetle? Dr. Phil Callahan studied how insects communicate with the plants. If the plant is imbalanced, it's giving off a certain type of radiation and it draws insects. If it's properly balanced, it's giving off a different type of radiation or a different frequency and the insects are not drawn to it. Dr. Callahan photographed the coronary worm moth flying at 3,000 feet altitude came over a cornfield and just went into a dive. Wow. Okay, so I guess I was going to ask you where people can start when they want, if they want to start, if they want to embrace these ideas and, and try and correct their soil. I guess they can start with your book. Uh, <laughs> that should be said. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, I guess, too, you must advocate then for, for just getting the right kind of soil test done and, uh, and then getting some advice on, on how to correct uh, imbalances. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. 
Okay, well, I have one last uh, question, Jay, because uh, you know there's a large there's a large movement towards small scale market gardening happening right now in North America. Uh, a lot of people are mm-hmm. taking it up, and uh, a very influential book on that crowd is is called The Market Gardener um, by mm-hmm. by Jean Martin Fortier, and the reason I bring it up is. Um, Jean-Martin advocates a technique for reducing tillage um, and eliminating uh, weed pressure. Uh, because we're working on such a small scale, this is practical, and, and I, I have taken up the technique, and this is what it is. Um, it, it's, it, it takes the concept of stale seed bedding one step further, where we actually ha- we use like 8-millimeter uh, opaque silage tarps, and so, mm-hmm. so I finish a crop of say mixed greens, like, you know, a bunch of different beds of, of different kinds of greens that go into my salad mix. And then I, I mow that crop in with a flail mower and this is all using small machinery, like a walk behind tractor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, then I pull the tarp over, I, I water it. So there's moisture, there's plenty of moisture in the soil. And then I put the tarp over and bury the edges. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot to be said for it. You pull the tarp up three, four weeks later. Um, and everything is broken down. It's probably fair to assume that a lot of weed seeds on the surface have germinated under under those conditions. It's warm and moist under the tarp, but then they die when they just hit the black tarp, right? Um, but I have but I have wondered at unintended consequences, and I don't have any answers. I've just wondered what are the unintended consequences of you know bringing the heat in the soil up quite substantially, for example. Uh, and, and theoretically cutting the amount of oxygen moving through that soil down just with this buried tarp. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'm just wondering if that, if you have any observations about that, that what, what I might need to be concerned about, uh, if I'm using this technique. I know I have Amish growers and I have conventional growers that are using the, the mulch in the row. Planting through mulch mm-hmm. or through yeah through the plastic black plastic or other colors. The only the only thing that can, can happen that I'm concerned about, and I think you can probably regulate that with your with your water, is if the soil gets too warm, it gets pretty hard on on the microbes. Mm-hmm. But if you if you can keep your if you can keep your moisture at a decent level. I would think you could uh, pretty much control that. Okay, so yeah, I had similar. I've had similar concerns. Is what is it doing to to the microbiome? Uh, I, I would I would think because it you know it's it gets really hot in my area, so I, I'm wondering about the temperature in there. If I wanted to monitor it, I mean, is there uh, is there offhand? Is there is there a soil temp I could be monitoring for beyond which I should oh, be concerned? Yeah, I wouldn't want to get over a hundred degrees. Okay. I know at 90 degrees, corn slows down. That That is air temperature. Mm-hmm. One thing, when your soil is working right, you should be able to hold ammonia, nitrogen, in your soil naturally. And ammonia is a refrigerant. It's been used as a refrigerant. So as the temperature goes up, the ammonia cools it. Mm-hmm. When the temperature goes down, it actually warms it. Dr. Reams taught that you can gain the weak 
extra going time on each end of the season by using ammonium sulfate properly. Mm. Jane McCammon, I want to thank you very much for coming on the Ruminant Podcast. This has been really enlightening, and uh, I have a feeling some listeners will be searching out your book, When Weeds Talk, uh, after hearing this. Um, thanks, thanks again. Okay. Thank you. That's it, folks. I hope you like that. So before I say goodbye, I would like to ask you for some help. Promoting a podcast isn't easy, so I'd like to ask you to help me out with that. If you are listening to this podcast on an app that allows you to give a rating to the podcast within the app, I know this is the case with iTunes, and if you like the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would give it a rating. This will rank the podcast higher in that app and help other people find the podcast. Another thing that would be really cool is if you would think of a favorite episode of the show and either go to the ruminant.ca and find the specific episode page for that show and grab the link or go and find the ruminant on Facebook and where you'll find every show represented on the page. Either way, you could share the episode with your friends on Facebook or, or other social media. Podcasting is still a new medium, so there's tons of people that don't realize what's out there. And it's still pretty hard for little podcasts like mine to find its way to people who, who might be interested in it. So I would really I'd appreciate the effort. Thanks, folks. Talk to you next week. Because why would we live in a place that don't want us? A place that is trying to bleed us dry. We could be happy with life in the country With salt on our skin and the dirt on our hands I've been doing a lot of thinking Some real soul searching And here's my final resolve I don't need a big old house or some fancy car To keep my love going strong So we'll run right out into the wilds and graces We'll keep close quarters with gentle faces And live next door to the birds and the bees And live